So this week, we marked in our calendars the summer solstice and the first day of summer. Summertime is a busy time full of joy and freedom for many of us to get a chance to be outside and to engage in the beautiful creation that God has given us. And I'd like to take a moment to remind us of the importance in continuing to gather with your church in the midst of this gorgeous season. There is all manner of camping and vacations and other awesome activities. Hopefully, one of the few things that came out of these last years of COVID that is positive is that we recognize what a joy it is to be able to gather together in person with our brothers and sisters in Christ, and that we shouldn't take it lightly, the idea of missing church. Hebrews 10.25 does a good job of reminding us not to, not to neglect meeting together, and that to do so is majorly problematic for a believer. And even in the midst of a global pandemic, the decision to switch to meeting virtually was not made lightly or without much prayer. So if even in the midst of a pandemic, we still pushed the envelope and did everything we could to meet in person, we should not do any less in the summer when the lakes are calling to us. Whatever you have prepared for your summer, Include meeting with the church body in your plans. If you're camping nearby, make the pilgrimage in to join with us. There are many within our church who make a 45-minute-plus drive in to worship with us every Sunday. So a 30-minute drive in from Ross Lake or Lake Bellevue or wherever you would be camping shouldn't stop us, and we promise not to bother you too much about smelling like campfire. And if you go away somewhere to have a vacation, try to find a solid church nearby to meet with. One of the privileges that we have as a church body is that while there is a, a special nature of meeting together with your local church family, wherever you go, we have the opportunity of gathering together with fellow believers. So if you are going out into the wide world to vacation, find a church to, to worship with while you're on vacation. Because the command to continue gathering with your fellow believers doesn't take a break just because it's sunny outside. So that was just my little reminder, and I'm going to step off that soapbox for the moment. But I do want to encourage you to take the time to worship together this summer. This morning's regularly scheduled programming, we are, Lord willing, going to be getting into our second last message from the Hebrews Hall of Fame of Faith. Last week we talked about Moses, his faithfulness in following God's leading through the first 80 years of his life. But now we have a bit of a switch where instead of just talking about Moses, 
it starts to include all of Israel, the people. And this segment encompasses the next 40 years in just two segments. One of the two segments is split into two parts, but we have the crossing of the Red Sea and then the conquering of Jericho. And within that story of the conquering of Jericho, we have the story of Rahab's faithfulness. But why don't we start by reading our passage from Hebrews eleven twenty-eight, after which we will come to our God in prayer. Hebrews 11, starting in verse 28 and going through to verse 31. By faith, he, that is Moses, kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Let's pray. Lord, again, we come before you and ask that you would teach us what it means to live by faith. That in all things we would turn our eyes towards the author and the perfecter of our faith, our Lord Jesus Christ. That we might have settled conviction and total assurance in the truth of your word. And that this wouldn't just be intellectual, but that we would know with our hearts that your word is true. God, teach us what it is to live by faith from the example of the, the Israelites. And Lord, may we go from here and act as people who would live by faith. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. I imagine many of you are able to think of examples where you can identify a group of people based on their connection to just one person. I say Connor McDavid. You think of the Edmonton Oilers. I say Paul McCartney. You think of the Beatles. I say William Shatner. You think of Star Trek Enterprise. There is many people that are so closely associated with the group that they become synonymous with them. And when it comes to the people of Israel, one of those names that would most likely be chosen would be that of Moses. When Jesus was rebuking the Pharisees in John 5, he actually calls Moses the one on whom they have set their hope, accusing them that, first, that he should not have been the sole one that they've set their hope upon, but also saying that even Moses would be coming back and indicting you. But Moses truly became one of, if not the icon of the Hebrew people. And then as we read our passage, there's this transition where Moses assumes the role of the actual leader of the Israelites, and the Israelite people recognize him as their leader. 
Moses leads the Israelites in their first Passover, and then comes the first real test for Israel itself. They must now get up and leave Egypt. It was no longer just Moses that was sticking his neck out. Now the entire people must uproot and go. It was Moses who went before Pharaoh so many times. It was Moses who led the people in the beginning of the Passover. But now the people have some flesh in the game. I chose to overlap here with Moses' faithfulness. And we, when it comes to the people as a whole all of a sudden taking on some of the burden here, initially it might not seem like the biggest of issues. These people were slaves. Why would they not want to go? Obviously, you get the chance to get out of slavery, you get out and you run. But when the going got tough in the wilderness, the Israelites revealed that there were many elements of life in Egypt that perhaps they were more fond of than they would have liked to let people know. I think of the troublemaking rabble in Numbers 11 that moaned, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up, and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. The, the moaning here is incredible, but they were quite fond of many of the perks of living in Egypt. And it would not have been an easy thing to uproot and go. Enslaved or no, there was great risk in what the Israelites undertook, and they did so, our passage says, out of faith. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. Not only did these people leave Egypt, but when Egypt pursued them, even in their fear and their terror, although they cried out, they did not capitulate to Egypt. And they did. They cried out. Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. To the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. I'm picturing this moment. The Egyptians are approaching. Moses is standing before the people. And knowing human nature, knowing the way people are, it would have only taken a handful of men to break ranks and flee. It would have only taken a handful of men to take a knee and bow back before Egypt before the entire resolve of the Israelites would have melted away. But as it was, Moses said, stand firm. And for all of the flack that we give Israel, to their credit, they did. Then Moses said, 
walk across the dried up sea with walls of water on both sides, and they walk. When God commanded his people through Moses to obey, he did not do so expecting that their hearts would be devoid of any concern. And in this instance, he did not even begrudge their outcry. It was enough that they would obey. But starting at this moment and moving onwards in our passage, there's this conspicuous gap in the story. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down. It's a little bit over 40 years represented in that gap of time. But in those 40 years, we have some of the most faithless and bewildering actions from the people of Israel. Picture this. Israelite triumphantly crosses the Red Sea. Pharaoh's army is smashed to pieces by the waves. There's a beautiful song sung in Exodus 15 called the Song of Moses. And they sing, worshiping God for his action in saving them. Israelite then strikes out for the promised land, walks for three days, and the people grumbled against Moses, saying, what shall we drink? This reminds me of my kids when I just fed them, complaining how hungry they are. You, you literally just ate. You were not hungry. But it shows the beginning of a pattern of faithlessness that became a major problem for Israel through all time. Exodus 16, And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. You have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Exodus 17, chapter later. The people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? In the Numbers 11 instance we already have mentioned, and it all culminates in Numbers 13 and 14. These people have escaped from slavery. They are moving to the promised land, and Moses sends spies into the promised land. They return with reports that the land is ripe with good harvest, but there are strong people living there. There are fortified cities. The people turned to Moses, then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let's choose a leader and go back to Egypt. The faithlessness of God's chosen people the 40-year gap in our Hall of Fame of faith picked up at the taking of the promised land. 
What is it that we are to learn from this? I have three things I wanted to bring out from here this morning. First, I wanted to point out the faithfulness of God. God does sentence these faithless people to 40-year exile in the wilderness. Then not one of them would step foot in the promised land. He had every good reason to terminate his connection with Israel. But he remains faithful to his chosen people even when they are faithless towards him. Some people have argued that God was constrained by his own vow to Abraham. But I don't believe that that's the case. God says, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and multiply your offspring. And he goes on to make this covenant with Abraham. But if you were to read in Matthew 3 the words of John the Baptist to the Pharisees, do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able to raise up from these stones children of Abraham. God is not constrained by his own rules. God is faithful because he has chosen to be faithful. He is faithful because that is his will. And after receiving the law in the wilderness, Moses says to the people in chapter 8, you shall remember that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. He humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna. That he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out. Your foot did not swell these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. In the remaining lifetimes of these Israelites who grumbled and rebelled and idolized, God did not even so much as let their clothes wear out. And for some of us, it's easy to feel like we are under the discipline of the Lord or like we are wandering in the wilderness some days. But remember that even there, God is faithful to his people. All of us have had moments where we have been faithless before God. And if we have been paying attention, there's a decent chance that we have come under the discipline of the Lord for our faithlessness. Sometimes that discipline is God just allowing the consequences of our actions to come back and bite us. But if we have been faithless and we feel we are under the discipline of God, if we feel like we have been wandering in a wilderness, remember that God is still faithful. That God is still, even as his people were wandering in the wilderness, he was still caring for them and supporting them and making sure their shoes did not wear out and their feet did not swell. They were not attacked and wiped out. They continued to live. The second thing I wanted to point out is one that we've already touched on. 
And that is the necessity of stepping out in faith even when we are uncertain or afraid. The two bookends of this 40-year gap that we are looking at this morning, the people are facing absolutely insurmountable odds. They are pinned against the waters of the Red Sea by thousands of chariots, the might of Pharaoh's army. They are faced by these towering walled cities, a land filled with warring tribes and even filled with giants, the sons of Anak, the same people that Goliath came from. And in these moments, the people would have been uncertain, to say the least. In the crossing of the sea, we hear it as the people cry out, but yet they obeyed. And in the account of Joshua, it's interesting, we hear no such murmuring. It appears that the people have learned their lesson about faithfulness before God. But I cannot imagine, even though they were remaining faithful, I cannot imagine that walking in circles around Jericho seemed like the best course of action. By faith, the people were saved from Pharaoh. And by faith, the walls of Jericho came down. And for you and I, the object of that faith is always to be turned towards Christ. Whether it was on the shores of the Red Sea or facing the impressive walls of Jericho, Israel's eyes had been properly refocused off of the odds, off of themselves, off of their own capabilities and what they could do, and focused onto their God. When Moses spoke to the people on the shores of the Red Sea, he didn't say, well, the Red Sea isn't so bad or the Egyptians aren't so bad. We can, we can do this. He said, you just watch. Watch what your God will do. And we don't hear in Joshua much talk about the military strategy of how we're going to take these walls down. You walk in circles. You yell. And you watch what your God does. And for us, there are going to be times that we need to just watch what our God will do. Whatever life throws at you, brothers and sisters, whether good or bad, lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And run with endurance the race that is set before you, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Sometimes we have to step out in faith even though we are uncertain or afraid. A book that I have given in the past to our grads because, let's be honest, the uncertainty and the fear is a major theme in an 18-year-old student stepping out of their home and going into the big wide world. But a book that I've given in the past is called Just Do Something. And the idea is that we don't need to 
lay out fleeces and say, God, if you want me to do this, then do this. And God, if you want me to do this, then do that. And whichever one you do, then that's the path I will follow. You don't need to have a vivid dream one night of you stepping into a new school and then go looking for which school that was that you were stepping into. You need to step out in faith. And sometimes we have to step out in what feels like almost blind faith. We do everything we can to be wise about our decisions. We ask advice from godly counsel. We look to the pages of Scripture, and, but eventually there comes a time where Scripture doesn't say in its pages, I want Joshua Sholu to go and be a neurosurgeon. It would be great if that was laid out that clearly for each one of us. But in good prudence, we follow the words of Scripture. We follow the gifts that God has given us, and we trust Him with the rest. Just watch what your God will do. And the final point I wanted to draw out is the importance of faithfulness even when those around you are faithless. Rahab is obviously the clear example here. But it also exists in the background of our passage in the stories of Caleb and Joshua. In this 40-year gap, the faithless action by the Israelites, there are two men that end up standing out for their faithfulness. Even Moses was prohibited from entering the promised land. In Deuteronomy 32:51, we read that Moses broke faith with the Lord in the midst of the people of Israel at the waters of Meribah, in the wilderness of Zin. He did not treat God as holy in the midst of the people of Israel. But the two standouts are Caleb and Joshua, and they are the two of the 12 spies sent into Canaan who, despite the perils that they saw, they said this, The land which we pass through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. This is the same courage showed by Rahab, who, while living in the presumably unassailable Jericho, did not trust in the walls of Jericho, did not trust in the soldiers of Jericho or the city's defenses, but instead she acknowledged the Lord and trusted in Him. For by faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Caleb, Joshua, Rahab, and many others throughout the Scriptures all had the opportunity, surrounded by wicked people, faithless people, to deny the Lord and to side with the majority, those whom had turned their backs on God. But rather than doing so, they acted in faith. They stood in spite of overwhelming odds and overwhelming public opinion, upon that which they knew to be right, upon that which God had commanded. 
I would be remiss if I didn't mention this, but in this last week, we've seen what that looks like in practice. I've been reading the news, and I read this CTV news article this week, and said this, the headline, U.S. Supreme Court overturns Roe v. Wade allowing states to ban abortions. It goes on to say, the U.S. Supreme Court has ended the nation's constitutional protections for abortion that had been in place for nearly 50 years in a decision by its conservative majority to overturn Roe v. Wade. Friday's outcome is expected to lead to abortion bans in roughly half of the states. And listen to this. The decision, unthinkable just a few years ago, was the culmination of decades of efforts by abortion opponents, made possible by an emboldened right side of the court that had been fortified by three appointees of former U.S. President Donald Trump. I'm not up here to make a political statement about any political leaders, but there is an incredible celebration that should run through the entire believing world. Should run through the entire world, but our world is wicked. But we can now know that the state sanctioned and the state pushed murder of the preborn is at least now up for debate. That is monumental. Unfortunately, in our own country, such wickedness is much less challenged. But all of this good news comes at a time where public opinion could not be more overwhelmingly negative. All of this comes at a time where evil is celebrated at every turn. And the fact that this comes during Pride Month is not lost on us. It's an entire month to celebrate sin, and yet God is faithful even in that. God is good. He is faithful. And He is blessed what our liberal news media calls the culmination of decades of effort by abortion opponents. There are many reasons that our world would give us why we should follow the patterns of this world rather than the transforming will of God. Not the least of which is the ridicule and the pressure of the majority of the people around us. But to do so would put us at odds with God. It is no small thing to bow to the pressure of this world. It would have been totally sensible for Rahab to turn in the spies. I'm in a giant walled city. There's a bunch of people outside with no siege engines. I think we can, we'll be fine. There's some spies here. There's the spies take them. It would have been totally sensible for the Israelites to surrender at the water's edge on the Red Sea. They have thousands of chariots. We're a bunch of people who grabbed what we could and ran. We're pinned on the water's edge. The jiggy's up. 
but to do so for either Rahab or the people of Israel, they never would have seen God's provision for his people. And they likely would have damned themselves in the process. There is all manner of overwhelming public opinion that we see around us. Hear talk of a culture war. And a lot of the rhetoric that we hear now is that Christianity has lost the culture war. Ours is no longer a Christian culture. Well, whether or not we are going to overturn the entire thought process of our culture and to become a God-fearing, God-glorifying nation, that is not up to us individually. That is up to the work of God. But it is up to us to, within the nation that we have been given, in the cities that we live, in the schools that we go to, in the workplaces that we are at, to speak the truth of God's Word, whether or not it is popular. There is overwhelming public opinion that would say, just keep it under your hat, don't make waves, and it starts with, you do you, I'll do me. That's the step one in the process. But eventually, you do you and I'll do me becomes you do you as long as what you do doesn't affect me. And if you disagree with me, then I'm going to come after you. We cannot be a people who stay silent about what we believe. And just to live our own individual, quiet Christian convictions in a bubble is not going to be enough in the world that we live in. We need to be willing to stand up for what is right and stand up for what is true. And to, by faith, act alongside these examples that we have been given. Act alongside the... Rahab and the Joshua and the Caleb, to act alongside the Israelite people and say, I am not going to bend the knee. I am going to stand up for what is true and what is right and what God has commanded in his word. And I encourage you to take stock of your own life LJ, I encourage you to take stock as you go off to university. Each one of us, is your faith in God? Is your gaze fixed upon Christ? And is that faith steadfast? If it came down to it and you were faced on every side by overwhelming, insurmountable odds that your faith is useless and worthless and why would you bother, would you still cling to it because you know it is true? Will you cling to your faith even when all your senses and all the world around you seems to direct otherwise? And I hope your answer is yes. 
as we've read from the accounts of Moses and Abraham, ours is a reasoned faith. We have good reason to believe what we do. We have good evidence to believe what we do. Ours is not a blind faith that we just throw our lot in with God and hope that it is true. But there comes a time, there is an element where we are sometimes going to have to choose faith even over what we can see and what seems reasonable. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Be assured of the things hoped for and convicted of the things not seen. And in all of these things, lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and run with endurance the race set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. I'll ask that the worship team would come, and then we will pray. Let's pray. Our God and our Heavenly Father, you have instructed us by your word. You have shown us in this hall of fame of faith some examples of what it looks like to be faithful believers. And Lord, we know that it is not an easy path. To be a follower of Christ is to forsake all else for your sake. To lay down our lives and to take up our cross and to follow you. But we do so looking forward to the reward that comes. We do so knowing that you are God and you are good and your promises are true. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to cling to your promises, cling to your words, and to be bold in the faith that we might speak what is true and what is righteous. And that we would be winsome, that we would speak in love, but that we would be clear about what it is that you have commanded in your word. God, may we not become a people that are lukewarm. May we not be a people that is useless like a fruitless fig tree. But that we might accomplish the purpose that you have set out for us. That we might go into all of the world declaring your gospel. And that we might see every tribe and tongue and nation worshiping together, even those, some of those who we would have called our enemies at one point. And Lord, if it is your will that we would suffer for our faith, give us the strength to suffer for our faith. Give us the endurance to pursue you no matter the consequences. And if it is your will that we live in relative ease and peace. We thank you for that, 
And we pray that we would not squander what we have been given. We are those to whom much has been given. And we know that from us much will be expected. God, I thank you for each one of my brothers and sisters here this morning. I thank you that I've been able to see real faith developing and growing, that I have been taught and instructed in what real faith looks like by the men and women that I see here this morning. May we continue to display that faith. May we continue to love one another. And may we continue to love you above all. Praise these things in Jesus' name. Amen.